This is John Holtzman, and welcome to a special Around the World in 20 Minutes, where we make sense of the beguiling new planet that we find ourselves on. And first and foremost, I'd like to wish happy holidays and a very Merry Christmas to our audience out there, our community, which has grown in leaps and bounds in this year. I know that as I'm sitting here in a rainy Milan, I'm thinking of you all over the world. One of the great things about doing this is that you realize where people come from. And for those of you who don't know about our community um, and who also is listening in with you, about a third of the people listening in are from the United States, about a third from the UK and London, and then an awful lot of people in Asia and Europe. The former Anglosphere countries figure very prominently in the people who listen to us. Uh, but the United States, about a third, the British in London, about a third, and then a third the rest of the world with large elements of those folks in, in Holland. I have to say that we have a huge representation in the Netherlands, an awful lot of people, and increasingly growing in Asia, and then the rest of Europe where I live. So we are truly international. And I'm thinking of you all um, in this holiday season as I sit here in Milan. And, and what, a, what a gift you are to me that I get to talk to people all over the world in an unfiltered manner and say dangerous and accurate things. Um, because our goal is to speak fearless truth to those in power. It has been since I started my career in politics, and it will be till the end of it. And the Substack platform is a wonderful way for us to do that. So know that you are my present for the year, and know that we will be the gift that keeps on giving to you as we move forward. Um, I had to do a special one today, um, and to wish you a Merry Christmas now, and we will get back to the other two big stories of the year. We've looked at Ukraine. We're going to look at what the rise of endemic inflation means, and then lastly, the rise of the Sino-American Cold War, particularly over the locusts in Taiwan. But I had to, of course, bring, and that's the whole point of Substack, is when something comes up that we can comment on it immediately in real time. And I wanted to comment on Zelensky's trip to the United States and why this is so dangerously wrongheaded, despite the mainstream media swooning at the man's feet. And let me start by saying I don't blame Zelensky for trying to wring every single dollar he can out of the United States and the useful idiots that are the Democrats' Wilsonian-dominated Congress more about what they think and why he's taking advantage of that later. But I don't fault Zelensky for doing the best he can by his own country. It's rather the people in the United States who are allowing him to take advantage of them that are the problem, that Zelensky asks for the world isn't his fault. And in fact, I would do the same if I were in his position. But I'm an American patriot, not a Ukrainian patriot. And by him trying to conflate the two in some sort of odd Wilsonian universal way. And for Wilsonians, everything is universal. Everything matters equally in the world. And this leads to the United States being the banker for the world, the policeman of the world. And this has led us into disaster in Iraq, Afghanistan, and overextending ourselves as we enter a new era of genuine great power competition, where the stakes are so much higher than they were when the United States was simply the only game in town between about 1990 and 2020, the era of globalization. You could argue that, but you can't anymore. And that means that this is dangerous nonsense that Zelensky is peddling. I don't mind that he peddles the snake oil. It's what I would do if I were a Ukrainian patriot trying to wring every last dollar out of the United States, I fault the Democrats, the Wilsonians, for giving it to him and believing the very dangerous nonsense he is peddling of universalism. 
And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But let's start by saying that in terms of the money received, this visit has been a resounding success, and the reasons for this are political. Up until now, the Democratic-controlled Congress is given, according to the Keele Institute, um, roughly $23 billion in military aid of $60 billion in total so far, but $23 billion has been given in military aid up to now. Now, with the new budget, the omnibus budget that nobody's read, a smorgasbord of spending and pork that the Democrats are rushing through before the Republicans take charge of Congress in just a matter of weeks, part of this now is that they are rushing to finalize a doubling of what has been given so far. $23 billion has been given so far in military wherewithal up to now. In the new budget, another $46 billion, easily two times more money, is appropriated to the Ukrainians. Why the rush? The simple reason for the rush is the politics are about to change, and the Democrats are very concerned that when the Republicans take over the House as possible Speaker of the House, likely Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, is saying that there are no more blank checks for Ukraine. Even more incredibly, given this amount of money that's being appropriated, the $46 billion, efforts to actually look at where this money goes, to do an audit of where money goes to the black hole that is Ukrainian corruption, has been denied. You heard me right. The Congress has said, no, nah, we don't need to check on where the money goes. We trust the Ukrainians to spend it wisely, despite the fact that Ukraine is the punchline to a joke about corruption. I've been there many, many times before, and the idea that vast amounts of money aren't being siphoned off defies reasonable description. And Congress doesn't want to know where the money is going and where there might be corruption up until now because they wouldn't like what they found. So Congress says, we'll give you double the military funds, and we're not going to check on where the money is actually going. This is insane, not the fault of Zelensky, but the fault of our own elected representatives in the United States, particularly the Democrats in Congress. And let's make it clear that that's why they're rushing. That's why this rush job of doubling the military funding up until now is going on, because the Chicago Council surveys, and if you look at their the Chicago Council on Foreign Relations, does very good polling, and December polling asks two basic questions. Um, the, the, the question or the answer to the assertion of number one, the U.S. should sh support Ukraine for as long as it takes, even if American households have to pay higher gas and food prices as a consequence. Do you believe the U.S. should support the Ukrainians for as long as it takes, even if American households have to pay higher gas and food prices as a consequence? 61% of Democrats, a strong majority, say yes. Only 33% of Republicans say yes, leaving the number overall at 48%. So roughly two-thirds of Democrats think the United States should support Ukraine for as long as it takes, even if this causes real pain to U.S. households over higher gas and food prices. Two-thirds of Democrats say yes. Only one-third of Republicans say yes. And overall, 48% say yes. So in other words, it's a 50-50 country with two-thirds of Democrats supporting Ukraine, whatever it costs, only one-third of Republicans doing so. Hence the rush job on getting this money appropriated before the grown-ups come in and stop the pizza party. The second question, the U.S. should urge Ukraine to settle for peace talks as soon as possible so the costs aren't so great for American households 
even if Ukraine will lose some territory. Do you believe the statement that the U.S. should urge Ukraine to the peace table as soon as possible so the costs aren't so great for American households, even if this means Ukraine will lose some territory? Again, predictably, only 36% of Democrats say so, one in three. 63% of Republicans say so, two in three. And overall, the number is 47%. So these two questions track perfectly. Two-thirds of Democrats support Ukraine, almost whatever the economic cost to Americans. Only one-third of Republicans support Ukraine, whatever the cost to Americans. And list leaves the country finally divided. 48% say yes to the first question on whatever it takes. 47% say we should press the Ukrainians. It's a 50-50 country. Two-thirds of Democrats are supporting it, only one-third of Republicans. So you foreigners who hear only from the mainstream media in the United States, overwhelmingly dominated by the Democratic Party, I would argue if you look at Twittergate, almost now the propaganda arm of the Democratic uh, media is the Democratic Party's propaganda arm, if you look at what's going on, you won't hear this out there, that the country is evenly divided about giving more wherewithal to Ukraine. And in fact, two-thirds of the Republican Party, one of the two great national political parties, are against giving Ukraine a blank check. You won't hear that in the media you read. Why? Because they're in the tank for the Democrats, and they want you to assume only a bunch of right-wing crazies agree with this point of view, when really, it's a 50-50 country. And that is one of the great stories behind the story here. Do not believe what you're reading in a mainstream media that is far from unbiased. I'm trying not to laugh hysterically. Democrats only control half the country on this. Two-thirds of their people are forced giving Zelensky endless checks of American money. Um, only one-third of Republicans are for this, but boy, you're not going to hear that at NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, uh, PBS, any of the mainstream media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and yet one half of the country do not agree with this policy. So be aware of that. By the way, the Chicago numbers are instructive and that this 48% are supporting, supporting the view that Ukraine should be given money, even if it hurts the United States. Only 48% support this view. This is down 10 points from July when it was 58%. So the trend line is for in decreased support for Ukraine as fatigue sets in, as the United States pays for more than the rest of the world put together for what is only and I repeat this, only a second-order priority at best to the United States. This is a secondary interest. Who runs Ukraine simply isn't all that important to how the United States is run. And this is particularly true when we have a real important situation viewing, a primary interest on the line in the Indo-Pacific, where all the future growth of the world and all the future risk are located, where the only peer superpower competitor out there, and you wouldn't know this to hear Zelensky compare, compare Putin to Hitler, you wouldn't know this, but the real peer competitor superpower of the United States is in China. All the risk and all the reward are in the Indo-Pacific while we spend tens of billions of dollars on a second-order matter that the Europeans are not prepared to pay for. That's the reality in numbers and strategy of what's going on. But you wouldn't know that as the Democrats in their Wilsonian universalist guise pose as useful idiots for Zelensky. So Zelensky went and visited and Biden, and let's just look at some of the universalist quotes that pepper 
Zelensky's speech, which I understand he's trying to do the best he can for his country by conflating what's happening for Ukraine to what's happening for the world, hence the United States. This is absolutely flawed reasoning. But Wilsonians who believe everything is universal swallow this hook, line, and sinker. Biden agreed to uh, give the Ukrainians the Patriot, Patriot missile defense system, which I think is open to discussion. Uh, this is the most advanced missile defense system in the world and will help pr pr protect Ukrainian infrastructure and civilians from Russian missile attacks. This is a defensive weapon I would actually be open to considering giving to Ukraine. Um, and so I don't think that should be the headline. It's the $46 billion we should concentrate on. Um, He's seeing this being rushed through. Biden said to Zelensky, what you're doing, what you've achieved matters to the whole world. Why? Why? Freedom is indivisible in the world. What happens in Mali directly affects the United States. Are we really going to make this ridiculous argument? Because if we are going to make the argument that everything is universal, every problem in democracy and freedom run into, and let's be fair, at best, Ukraine is only a wildly imperfect, oligarch-driven democracy, which is a cesspool of corruption. This is not a freely capitalistic society or a freely democratic society, as it is oligarch-dominated. I've been there many times and studied it. Let's stop pretending this is Switzerland. All right, that's the first thing. And even if it were a democratic society, which it's not fully, how would this directly impact the interests of the United States? And yet Biden seamlessly assumes this. Again, I don't blame Zelensky for going along with this nonsense. I blame the United States for not calling him out on this nonsense, which is an entirely different matter. And again, it's not the man's fault that he's trying to do the best he can for its country. It's my fault if I swallow the nonsense that what happens somewhere in the world that is utterly a secondary interest matters more than what happens in the United States. Going on, he said, Zelensky said, this battle will define in what world our children and our grandchildren will live in. What in the world is he talking about? What will define the world that our grandchildren and children live in is the superpower contest between the United States and China. That is the overriding thing. Russia is a clapped out corrupt gas station with nuclear weapons, a declining power trying to desperately hold on to its near abroad, the satellites in front of it, Ukraine and Belarus and the Caucasus, as we've said before. That's all that it is. This does not directly impact on NATO, of which Putin has no designs, and if he were, he doesn't mention it because he knows he would be attacked and he can't do that. So this is a limited conflict. It is not a universal conflict. It is a regional conflict. It is an important conflict. I can't believe I have to say this, but of course I hope the Ukrainians win. I was forgiving them aid right away when they were attacked. I'm forgiving them Patriot missiles, but I'm not for throwing the entire bank at what is only a secondary problem, despite his efforts to universalize it and despite the gullible, useful idiots he runs into in the Democratic Party. And no one is dumber about these things than Nancy Pelosi, who in her invitation to, to Zelensky to speak in Congress said, the fight for Ukraine is the fight for democracy itself. Has this woman ever been to school? 
This is absolutely ridiculous. By that argument, anytime democracy is imperiled, however imperfectly, anywhere in the world, the United States must open its checkbook and throw tens of billions of dollars or militarily intervene in that. This is where the Wilsonians made their peace with the neoconservatives, this unholy duopoly that led us into the messes in Iraq and Afghanistan. Fortunately for us at this period of time, there were no other, no other peer superpower competitors as there are now. So we could afford to be stupid. We could afford to be wrong in Somalia, Haiti, Bosnia, Kosovo, Afghanistan, Iraq, because there was so much give in the international system. There was no one breathing down our necks as there is now. It sure ain't Russia. It's China. To say that the fight for Ukraine is the fight for democracy itself is laughable to anyone who stops to think about it for a minute. Instead, the fight for democracy will be determined by the strength of the United States, by us having a real border policy, by us not spending money like drunken sailors, by us worrying about our opioid crisis, which you never hear about in the mainstream media because it happens to Trump voters of whom the mainstream media care very little. As an example, the United States should matter. In terms of putting sanctions on Russia in specific targeted cases, we certainly should. As you know, I'm in favor of we should give Ukraine aid in limited terms. But this is not a universal fight for democracy because Putin is not Hitler. It's not that he might not want to be Hitler, but he does not have the wherewithal to be Hitler. He is not a peer competitor challenging America's great power status. He is a fading gas station with terrible demography, terrible corruption, who can't even take over Ukraine, his addled next-door neighbor. This is what's really going on. As Aristotle said, what is, is. By making this something else, she's trying to justify endless spending, and paradoxically, this ruinous spending is what challenges American primacy, wasting money on second-order priorities to the tune of $45 billion is morally shameful. She is not the moral one. I am in saying, first and foremost, the United States must be a beacon to the world. As John Quincy Adams said, we must not go abroad in search of sea monsters to destroy. Everyone is not Hitler. Everyone is not a peer competitor to the United States. That doesn't mean I don't want Putin to lose the war. Of course I do. But I want to have some sense of caring first and foremost for the American people who've been shamefully neglected and yet again have to pick up the tab for Zelensky without an audit of where the money's going. This is a Kafka novel. Zelensky had the nerve to compare his winter war to the U.S. troops at the Battle of the Bulge, who were actually fighting a peer competitor superpower and saving the world at Bastogne in the, in the winter of 1944-45. And he had the nerve to compare this. He's encouraging this universalism. Ukrainians, Pelosi said, are fighting for democracy for all of us. Well, let's give her credit as a useful idiot. At least she's consistent in universalizing whatever happens in Ukraine to fighting for democracy for all of us. I absolutely reject that. They are fighting for democracy for Ukrainians. And that is a noble cause, and we should, within limits, support that cause. But he is not fighting for my democracy. If Ukraine, and let's do, let's do a thought experiment, if Ukraine were to be attacked, if Ukraine were to be overrun, it would not impact the democratic status of the United States one jot, one jot. Anyone who can think logically 
should be able to see us. But we have to call out this nonsense. I've seen this snake get out of the cage over Afghanistan and Iraq, this false conflation by utopians who are on the left, the Wilsonians, and on the right, the neoconservatives, that fighting for one country is one place which has very limited interest and involvement with America is fighting for me. I do not ex accept this at all. Obviously, spending $46 billion on military wherewithal after $23 billion is a dramatic upping of the ante by the United States without much debate at all. And this removes the risk for them that, of course, a more hostile Congress will reject that. As Zelensky said, it is just a matter of time um, when they, the Russians, will strike against our other allies if we don't stop them now. Again, the Hitler expansionistic false historical argument. Everything is Hitler. And of course, it's not. It's not that Putin isn't a wicked man. He is. We deal with wicked men every single day. For goodness sake, Nixon did a deal with Mao, the greatest mass murderer of all time. And he was absolutely right to do so in order to win the Cold War. Absolutely correct to do so. But we deal with mass murderers all the time. That doesn't mean they're Hitler. And that doesn't mean they're coming after us. Because whatever you say, Russia's GDP is the size of the state of Texas. It's democracy is terrible. We've seen its military fall apart and be incredibly overrated. This guy isn't Hitler, not because maybe he doesn't want to be Hitler, but because he can't be Hitler. He is not a peer competitor. The stakes are so much lower. And of course, Zelensky wants to up them. I would too, if I were president of Ukraine, because for Ukraine, this is an existential crisis. Of course it is, but it is not for the United States. Our interests are not the same. And the minute you get away from an interest-based view of the world, you move away from rationality and you start spending the American people's money on things that are laughably unimportant to their daily lives. I'm not denigrating Zelensky's heroism. I'm not denigrating the Ukrainians trying to get every dollar they can out of us. I'm denigrating an American Congress that doesn't understand how the world wants. A bunch of Wilsonians of whom Pelosi is certainly the poster person that think that what happens in one place directly affects me fundamentally in another. If she really wants to help the United States, you know what you do is you return an awful lot of that money to the hard-pressed taxpayers who are funding only a second-order problem. The Chinese must be laughing their heads off watching us spend $60 billion in military wherewithal on a second-order problem. It's our fault. Ruin comes from within. And if we don't very quickly see that this universalism is a great danger to the success of the United States. We're going to need this money down the road, both to make America the beacon to freedom that Reagan hoped it would be, and at the same way to prepare for a real competition in Asia. And instead, we're allowing Zelensky to paint Putin, a tin pot dictator of a declining great power, as Hitler. I don't fault him for doing that. I fault the universalist Wilsonian Democrats for buying it. And on that very strident note, I wish you a Merry Christmas. May in the new year, we care more about interests, see the world as it actually is, warts and all, and then try to make it better. Merry Christmas.